congregation, the text for this preparatory sermon and Pentecost sermon is from Acts 2, the verses 1 through 4. Let us read them again. Acts 2, the verses 1 through 4. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So far, the feast of the Holy Ghost, with the help of the Lord, three thoughts in the first place, the time that the Holy Ghost was poured out, as we see in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they're all with one accord in one place. Secondly, the signs of the Holy Ghost that appeared, as we hear about the wind and hear about uh, cloven tongues and also hear about them speaking different languages. And in the third place, the marks of the Holy Ghost in the hearts. That's kind of the application. And then we think also of the Lord's Supper. So again, the Feast of the Holy Ghost, the time that the Holy Ghost was poured out, the signs of the Holy Ghost that appeared, and the marks of the Holy Ghost in the hearts. Congregation and friends, children, boys, girls, it was Pentecost already, before it became Pentecost. Pentecost was not new. They had Pentecost for years and years, every, every year again. Pentecost means 50. So 50 days after Easter, after the Passover feast, rather, the people of Israel were celebrating Pentecost. Every day, every year again, Pentecost. And what were they celebrating? Of course, not the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, because they did not even know about that. But every year they celebrated Pentecost as a Thanksgiving's day. After the wheat harvest. So, if possible, our males in Israel came to Jerusalem and came to sacrifice to the Lord and brought something with them. And sometimes their wives and the children, the whole family. And many were walking, right? From all different directions, they walked up to Jerusalem, to the Mount Zion, in order to be in the temple and celebrate Thanksgiving and the goodness of God. So that was the time that the Lord had chosen, when so many people were in Israel, were in Jerusalem, so many present. And many, when they left Jerusalem some weeks later, left with many memories. And 
told at home in Libya and in Pamphylia and in Syria and all those places, they told about the wonderful works of God they had seen and heard. So it was on purpose that the Lord wanted the Holy Spirit to be poured out that day. So there will be many witnesses, and it would spread as a wildfire over the world. Pentecost. So the Lord had chosen to celebrate a new Pentecost. Pentecost was kind of changed a little bit. Why did the Lord do that? Why did the Lord not say, Pentecost is over, that is Jewish, it's Old Testament, and we begin all over with something brand new. Not, not, not calling it Pentecost, that's confusing, that, that's Jewish. Let's call it the outpouring of the Holy Spirit or something. But the Lord wanted it to happen on that Jewish day, on that old Pentecost day, because it, that connects, because it is indicating that nothing really changes. It, it's not that something brand new begins in the New Testament with the New, new Testament church. It is, it is old, only refreshed and extended and enriched. That's also true with, for example, baptism, right? And circumcision. Circumcision and baptism is so close, and the Lord does not say that circumcision is over and we don't think about those things at all anymore, and we begin something of a new, new, a new ceremony. No, there's, there's a connection between Old and New Testament. It's the same covenant. It's the same revelation. It's the same Savior. It's the same work of the Holy Spirit. There's no real change. It is it's richer, and some are different, but still the same substance. Adam, Enoch, Noah, Isaiah, Joel, Moses, they all had the same faith and believed in the same truth. It has not, had not changed. So the Lord thought is allowed, and the Lord had planned it this way in his great wisdom to give a new meaning, an extra meaning, to the day of Pentecost. So when the day of Pentecost was fully come, see, that's the Lord's doing. That's the Lord timing everything. Does an engine have a timing belt so that the valves open at the right time? Young people? Boys? So everything goes on time in that, in that engine, right? In that with, with, in, in engine. And so the Lord makes everything work together for good at, at the right time. Everything is the right time. So those valves are opening and closing and so in, 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 in the history of, of mankind, the Lord is, is there and makes it work as an engine. And all things must work together for good. It all fits. It all is on time. Nothing happens too early or too late. Our times 
are in the Lord's hand. We see that quite often in the Bible. And if I may elaborate on it a little bit. For example, the Babylonian captivity. How long were the people of Israel supposed to be there? And I read in Daniel 9, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. So we're determined. So the Lord had it all in his hands. And they said, yes, this is the time. No, that's not the time for this. Yes, now this is to start. And now this is to begin. We also read about the Lord Jesus who has given himself at the appointed time who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. So things happen in due time. God's time. And often things are our time, right? I remember talking to my pastor about the call to the ministry. And he reminded me of Moses. That Moses had to wait. Moses was kind of trying to deliver the people of Egypt. And the Lord said, wait a little longer. And the Lord made it well, right? So the Lord reigns and governs all things. And we hope that this week it might be the Lord's time for some young men to be accepted by the curatorium. But it must be the Lord's time, right? So let us pray for that. Lord, may it be thy time this week. Galatians 4. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law. See? In the fullness of the time. So when the time was full, when that class was full, So we also have received time to seek the Lord, right? Let us not waste time. Let us use our time well, redeeming the time. And think of Ephesians 1.10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time, of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ. Time. Is it time to be born? Is it time to die? Everything, there is a season. And is it time to every purpose under the heavens? A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up, a time. Someone continues with that, right? Everything has a time. It was also an exact time of your rebirth. People of God. Was this God's exact time when he shot an arrow in your heart and wounded you and stopped you. It was a certain time, a certain year, a certain moment, a certain week, a certain day, a certain time. It was the Lord's time. The wind bloweth where it listeth and though he is the sounder of, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. So suddenly, unexpectedly, 
But you're not interested in it. You just were not listening to the tunes at all. It didn't over your head. If you would have loved to listen, you would have been able to understand it, but you had no interest for years. And then suddenly, this is something that hits you in the heart. There's something as of an accident that the Lord blesses. And all things work together to that point of breaking you down and causing you to come to a, to a halt. The Lord's time. God's time. At God's time, the elect are quickened. They rise from the dead. And many things may come suddenly. Do you remember the time that the Lord woke you up? Maybe you don't. But the unconverted elect, you hear me? Unconverted elect will be born again exactly at God's time. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit doing it. The Lord does not wait until it is his time. His time. He does not wait for our time. Now, many of God's people estimate the time of their rebirth too late or too early. Many of them made, made, made a mistake, and they say, yeah, at that time, that soon, that, 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 that the, Lord, the Lord stopped me. Maybe. Maybe it was before that. Maybe, maybe it was a little later. Maybe you think that, was, that there was the time, but before that, the Lord was also drawing you already and changing you already and making you interested in things already. Or it was just common work yet. And it was not saving and became saving grace later. It's in the Lord's hand. But you know, you don't need to know exactly the time. It's, 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 it's great to know something, but we don't, know, we don't need to know the exact time of the rebirth. Do you know what time the was sunrise this morning? I don't know. But the sun rose because it was light outside. So I think it's enough to know that the sun has risen this morning. If you see the light. And so it is enough for someone to know there is life. I don't know exactly I don't need to know exactly when the life was given, as long as there is life. But we need to yet examine ourselves, right? If we, if we live, if we are alive, that's important. So the day of Pentecost had fully come and they were all with one accord in one place. They were obedient. The Lord had asked them to be together and to wait for the unction of the Holy Spirit. And they were with one accord in one place. Now, in this morning hour, we are not in one place, are we? Some people are connecting with Zoom. We are not in one place. But if possible, it should be that way. In one accord, in one place, if, if, if it's all possible, then let's do that. 
and be together, family. Constantin. Acts 2, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. That's after Pentecost. It's still the same. That we have all accord. So do we have also a bond with God's people? One place, one accord. Do we feel I be, want to be one of those people? Do you want to be friends with them? Would you like to speak with them? In one accord, does not mean that you just are quiet. You, you communicate. You have this fellowship. And that was the way the Lord worked. So that was the first thought, the time. Go to the second part, the, the, the signs. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. It was not a wind. It was the sound of a wind. It was not the sound of a soft breeze. It was the sound of a mighty wind that thundered was kind of unusual in Israel. To hear such a sound of a mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. Not, not the wind, but that noise. So everyone was vibrating and echoing. It was, it was loud and extraordinary. Pentecost is not just a little small event. It's big. And the Lord draws attention to that by that sound, the roaring sound of a mighty wind that the Lord's indicating, listen, there's something important here, something going on. Listen to that. Pay attention. Pentecost is not just a little change in direction. Pentecost is not some increased knowledge of God and Christ. Pentecost is dramatic. No? Pentecost is moving. It's intense. It is extraordinary. It is passionate. There are affections. So it's not only that sound, it's also people's hearts are moving. Dramatic. Yes, this was absolutely extraordinary, not a common thing. And those people from Libya and Egypt and all those visitors, they went home and they remembered that, that, that day for the rest of their life. And they, and they talked to the grandchildren. You know, I was at that here in Jerusalem. And then we were close to the temple. And we heard such a, such a sound, such an unusual sound. And we, we just all went to the temple and we saw those men and we saw those flames of fire on their heads. And they spoke Egyptian. 
And then they spoke our language. I will never ever forget that anymore. It's very dramatic. Unforgettable. So nothing trivial. Nothing under the carpet. Nothing ordinary. No, nothing commonplace. Nothing pedestrian. Nothing dull. Nothing everyday. Nothing like that. But highly unusual, special, unforgettable. It made a huge impression. That sound was also heard, right? It was overwhelming and disturbing. Compare that sound and compare this event with the revelation of God on Mount Sinai. Oh, there was also smoke and fire and thunder as God appeared. Or compare this to the last day of judgment. For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Or compare this to the conversion of Saul, Paul. And he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. Or think of the conversion of the jailer. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened. And I know conversions are sometimes not so dramatic outwardly. They're all different. But yet, objectively, it is dramatic. There's a huge change. The sun rises from the dead. The sun is quickened by the Holy Spirit. So all of them, all God's children, experience at least something of God's majesty. They all stand in awe. They all have a broken heart, don't they? They all have a great need. They all cry out for mercy. Some more dramatic than others, okay. But it's dramatic and extraordinary in, in all of them. This is not something natural. Not something we do. Not something we change. It's God's word. The sound comes from heaven. The Lord is doing that. The Lord converts people. Have you converted yourself? Have, have, have other people converted you? You know, we are only means. And we as people, we can't give anything to each other. It's the work of the Almighty God. And on this day of Pentecost, it's, rem- it's remarkable that they have those flames of fire, those Tongues of fire. You know, when you have a, make a fire, you often see tongues, right? Shape. Tongue-shaped flames. And the Lord says, I want them to sit on all those 120 people. 
on the head. And that points to language, right? Because you need a tongue to speak. It's about language. And so the day of Pentecost is about language. About God speaking. About people hearing. About people understanding. About people being changed by what they hear. Because faith is by hearing. Faith is not by an accident. Faith is not by a feeling. Faith is by hearing. And on this day of Pentecost, they begin to speak the wonderful works of God. All of them. They begin to glorify God. Speak about Him. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded. Confounded. Bewildered. Disturbed. And they're all amazed and marveled. So we have confounded and amazed and marveled. Amazed, it says, existential, out of yourself, beside yourself. So in shock, those people. In shock. They didn't say, oh, what is this? No, in shock. Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God, and we're all amazed and we're in doubt. So we read, confounded, amazed, marveled, amazed again, and in doubt. Perplexed. This was not something average. This was loud. Now, some people have difficulties waking up in the morning. And their alarm that they set is not loud enough. So they need maybe one of those old-fashioned alarms with all those bells on there. Really, really loud. And then, 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 then the thing goes off, they just jump out of bed and they, they, they hear it. Some people need that. Where I'm going? So be, are by nature in such a deep sleep, so dead and sleepy. We need something really loud and extraordinary to wake us up because we have, we have fallen such a deep sleep of death. I think that's what it's indicating, isn't it? It's also figurative language. So, child of God, or you are professing something, don't you think that something loud and extraordinary was necessary, necessary to wake you up? Was it easy to wake you up? Were you, just, were you already awake since your birth? No, you weren't. Except if you would have been like John the Baptist, right? But it's something... special happening. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind filled all the house that is sitting that appeared in them tongues like as a fire, like as a fire. 
So the wind was not the real wind, and the fire was not the real fire. But it's, it speaks about God's majesty. As the Lord also had fire on that burning bush that Moses saw. And uh, fire was leading the people of Israel by night. God's presence. So you think of those words, confounded, amazed, marveled, amazed, and out, perplexed, beside themselves. Is that not how the Lord still works? He wakes people up, and then people don't say, oh, I see that I'm a sinner. That's not, that's not there. No, it, it's more than that. It is heartbreaking. It is an extraordinary work of the Holy Spirit. He brings things home, and you feel sad. And you're grieving. You're concerned. And you are unworthy. You feel guilty. Right? So that's how the Lord works. Because let us not forget that the Lord is an almighty God and a consuming fire. Isaiah 8, verse 13. Sanctify the Lord of hosts himself and let him be your fear and let him be your dread. So the reason why we talk about God fearing people and to fear the Lord is not because people are petrified but have highly esteemed God and see God as a holy God, not as a monster, but as a holy God. And they fear a holy God. And there's desire in there and hunger in there. If God would be a tyrant, would flee from him. But he is a holy and good doing God. And that gives that filial fear. God is love. is forgiveness with him. is plenty redemption. And yet, God takes things seriously. Cloven tongues like as a fire. And it set upon them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Was that saving? No. They were saved already. They had been baptized with the Holy Ghost before. Because being baptized with the Holy Ghost means conversion. And being filled with the Holy Ghost means that the Lord teaches you something experiential and prepares you for a task. So you will never read the Bible, baptize yourself or make yourself baptized in the Holy Ghost. You never see that. But it says in the Bible, be filled with the Holy Ghost. 
So that is something else. For example, in Ephesians 5, verse 18 through 20, you can see that. Be not drunk with wine that is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody, your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be filled. Example? You have a glass. And that glass looks empty. But there is something in there, right? What's in there? Air. Air is nothing. No, no, no. Air is something. Oxygen, CO2, other things. You don't see that there is air in the glass. Can you suck the air? How do you get rid of the air in the glass? How can you get it out? You can close it off and put a tube up there and a vacuum pump. You can just try to suck all the air out of the glass. Maybe, maybe, maybe the glass collapses then. So it's not hard to make it really empty of all the molecules bouncing up there. But now someone says, I know it in a simpler way. To take all the air out of the glass. I think someone says, I can do that. And there's not one molecule left. So I, I say, how do you do that? He goes to the tap and he fills the old glass with water. You see? All that is out. You're right. That's smart. And so the Holy Ghost filled those people. He filled them. So that they were able to do to, to the, to the task. So that they, are, they felt close to God. So ask the Lord to be filled with the Spirit, like in Ephesians 5, singing, giving thanks, speaking to yourselves, not being drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And then they were. Faith is by hearing, right? And hearing by the word of God. Think of Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, the Lord Jesus said. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek, and he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and, to, and the opening of the prison to them their bound. So the Lord Jesus was anointed with that spirit. Not to save him, right? But to equip him so that he could do the work. And so the Holy Ghost still gives help in preaching, in going on house visitation. And maybe sometimes, yes, also when a God-fearing father or mother speaks to children, Something of the Holy Spirit in there. And the Lord can give that, that life. But what are now the marks of having that Holy Spirit? 
our good father. First he said, Congregation in the Bible, we read about the wind, about the breath, about the air, and it's all in the original the same word. The word ghost, spirit, wind, breath, air, it's all the same word. In the New Testament, naima. Think of naimatic, right? Driven by wind. In the Old Testament, the ruach. The ruach is the spirit, is the breath, is the air. The ghost. So on the day of Pentecost, there was that noise of the wind, very fitting. And what we need is to have that wind also personally. The wind begins to blow in my heart, in my life, so that I become a child of God, adopted by him, changed by him. So we need a major change, right, and dramatic change, a serious change. Now what happens when the Holy Spirit comes? The Holy Spirit comes in a saving work that's not the same as in his common work. Stephen <clears throat> said, you resist always the Holy Ghost, <clears throat> like your fathers also ye." So we can resist the common work of the Holy Spirit. And we do. We all do. We just resist the common work of the Spirit. And we feel something, and we have some tears, and some impressions, and some deep feelings. But that can be common. So how do we know this saving, the saving work of the Holy Spirit? Someone says, well, then you begin to pray. That's correct. The Lord gives the spirit of prayer and supplication. Think of the Apostle Paul. He must have been praying his whole life, but then he prayed after he was stopped by the Lord on his way to Damascus. It says, behold, he prayeth. Right? And then, then people begin to really pray. But how do they feel then when they pray? I'll give you a few examples. I thought of Zechariah 12 verse 10. Zechariah 12 verse 10 speaks also about the Holy Spirit and what it causes, what he causes, what he causes, not it. He is not impersonal. He is a person. What he is doing. I'll read it to you. Zechariah 12, verse 10, and I will pour upon the house of David, see, pour, spirit, pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the grace, the spirit of grace and supplications. The pour that spirit of grace and supplications, and they shall look upon me. Whom they have pierced. 
and they shall mourn for him. As one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him. As one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. So, Zechariah speaks about that same spirit that will be poured out upon Jerusalem. And they will see who they have pierced. So begins to dawn on people what they did to God. That they have not only sinned against his commandments, but that they have also sinned against God's love. That they have pierced him. And then they begin to mourn for him. As one that mourneth for his only son. When you have an only son and you lose the only son. With a deep mourning. The Holy Spirit works mourning. Grieving. Not, not just fear. Straight fear. But mourning. Grieving. Sadness. The feeling of missing. Feeling of it's my own fault. Feeling of desperation. And you can't help yourself. And you're so dependent. And you must believe. And you cannot believe. And you must repent. You can repent. But the Holy Spirit does not only teach people about sin. He also teaches people of Christ. That is such a clear mark of grace. Some, I say it carefully, some knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Not without Jesus. If it is saving work, the Lord pushes you, corners you, leads you to the Savior. And that's the comforter. The comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. The Spirit of truth, he will guide you in all truth. He shall glorify me. Or think of John 16, verse 15. All things the Father has in mind, therefore said he that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. So the Holy Spirit takes things out of Christ. I hope to elaborate on that tonight again. He takes things out of Christ and he shows it unto them. And the Holy Spirit shows Christ to God's people, to those convicted people. He shows them. He says, look, look at that, look at this, look at that. And they begin to see him and begin to flee unto him and to take refuge unto him and to appreciate him, highly esteeming him, trusting him, believing in him. Rely on him. Lean on him. 
touching the head of the garment. How is it in your life? Do you know this morning? Do you know of that fact that you have pierced them yourself? Do you know about that grieving? I'm not asking if you qualify with that, because you don't. There's no qualification here. But do you know about it? Do you know about that grieving? And has the Holy Spirit pointed out Christ there? You saw him. You said everything in him is beloved. Oh, my beloved one. Do you love the Lord Jesus who came to seek and to save them the lost? Did that draw your heart unto him? That's the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit works the knowledge of misery. And the Holy Spirit works that faith in Christ. No, I'm not asking, not saying that you need all the knowledge of Jesus. Because how can it be? How can you know everything about Christ? I'm not saying it is an audible voice or something, but through the Word, through the Holy, through the Holy Spirit and the Word, that He becomes real, and that there is a relationship made between you and Jesus. Do you have a relationship with Him? Maybe, maybe you, you know a little of it. But is he deity? And also sanctification, right? 1 Peter 1 2. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. So through sanctification of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit works a desire for holiness and works a hatred against sin. And you begin to want to live a holy life. That's your desire then. You like to root up all the sins. You like to go through the garden of your heart and just pull all those weeds out. And you want it to be immaculate, your garden. Because you can stand the weeds. And yet you sometimes forget pieces. And sometimes you wait too long. But yet there's a desire to pull them all out. Sanctification of the Spirit. That's the word of the Lord. And the Lord knows his people. They can be lukewarm. And they, the Holy Spirit sometimes withdraws from his people because of certain sins and sometimes the lifestyle and the worldliness. And the Lord can also withdraw because they neglect the means. What? God's children? Neglecting the means? 
for example, the Lord's Supper. God's people neglect the means of the Lord's Supper. That is grieving the Holy Spirit. And that may bring darkness in their lives, like it happened also in the heart of Peter, who denied the Master, right? So the Holy Spirit doesn't only work in the hearts of God's people, he also dwells in them. They're temples of the Holy Spirit. We read about it already in Ezekiel 36. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. You shall keep my judgment and do them. So the Holy Spirit makes people to live holy lives. They can fall to sin, but not live in sin anymore. Wrapping it up. I was thinking of Hebrews. Hebrews 3. Because you were talking about time, right? And the Lord's time. Until the time has fully come. That's how we started this sermon. It's also end there. Somebody is saying in church today, I don't have this. I miss this life. And I'm hoping for it. I'm waiting for it. Until it may come. What else can I do? I'm just patient. Patiently praying and patiently going to church and just waiting until the Lord to do it. Well, I would read Hebrews 3 this afternoon, if you may. And I will just take a few verses from that. I will read 7 and 15, Hebrews 3, verse 7 and 15. Therefore, as the Holy Ghost saith today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation. In verse 15, while it is said today, if ye will hear his voice, Harden not your hearts as in the provocation. So it's again the same thing. The Lord does everything at his time. Not early, not too late. But we may not be passive. And just say, you know, I'm just, the Lord's doing it, so I wait until he begins. The Lord begins, we don't begin. I know that. But the Lord yet says, today, Harden not your heart. Amen.